from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to John Conver's episode on our companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode. So if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The links to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. So Christine. So JP. How's it going? Oh, not as going as well as you in LA with your sunshine. I'm so jealous, but it's going well. Oh, it was so hot today. Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But keep going. How, how are things turn going? Turn into a werelobster in the sun? What? <laughs> I did turn into a werelobster. Not yet. I'm still very pasty. Perfect. Yeah, no, things are going well. Um, I'm just trying to get things in order because uh, I have future scapes coming up this weekend and it's just like jammed, packed. Mm-hmm as soon as it starts going. So yeah, I'm totally looking forward to that, you know, in a group of seven people um, and we get to read each other's excerpts and I'm just like blown away by all the talent in my group and it's awesome. And we have awesome, awesome. faculty. CL Polk is our faculty, our main faculty, which is exciting because I love their books and got Kate Dollarhide and agent Sarah Megabo all taking a look at our work. So I'm getting excited for that and just trying to get everything else managed all my episodes for Velda loaded all my podcast stuff ready so yeah it's been busy how about you it's very busy um well i'm in la (laughs) surprise surprise the third place i've been this year um for the day job and yeah uh writing wise things have been going well we're chugging along with the episodes and the series is like everything's going out of my hands i don't know when the last time i talked to you versus what's happening but it's so nice to take things off of my plate it's so nice and we're looking at formatting for the first book so yeah i saw some of it it's so cool good i'm glad um and i saw our wonderful friend lon lon varnador oh uh, nice went and had lunch with him yesterday and i'm crossing my fingers that i can convince callie chase to be my best friend so if you're listening <laughs> that's the whole goal <laughs> well hopefully yeah. you two have connected before this podcast comes out on friday so <laughs> we'll find out yeah no, actually it would be the following weekend but yay <gasps> yay yeah all right let's go talk to our author okay Before we talk to our author, let's talk about Pro Writing Aid. And I am really enjoying the monthly articles they send out, their top writing articles. And I know this Mm -hmm. is one that a lot of newer authors struggle struggle with is omniscient narrators. What is an omniscient narrator? And I, you know, I think this is a great art article because it can really help differentiate um omniscient voice, true omniscient voice from head hopping um, and not going into those pitfalls where you can confuse your readers with hopping into different characters' heads. So this is something you like to do. Uh, you like this style. I find it more of a difficult style, but there's an article here. You can really learn a lot more about that. Um, yeah, definitely. Different like just kinds looking at of it narrative now. voices. Yeah, there's first person, yeah. second person, which 
you know, you can use to affect very well. I know Naomi Alt's uh, serial starts with second person, there's third person, and there's omniscient. And you can really see the differences in how you can use those for effect. You know, yeah. Neil Gaiman it's, does it. So <laughs> I guess it's a good I mean, you know, know, it works. Yeah, it it's does. A type of a type of writing. Um, and I think that these little articles that they send out, I mean, that's just another way to get you learning about how to not only use their tool, but how to grow as an author. Mm -hmm. And I just love that Pro Writing Aid has this. It has the little classes. It has all of this stuff around it so that you're not just using this tool and leaving, but you're learning something from it. And, you know, I don't know if this is the intent, but there's always that intent of like trying to teach you enough to write themselves out of the your them being in your equation and i think that that's what they're doing here is they're providing you with so much information that if you had the time you could learn it all and maybe you know the next time you run it through pro writing aid you almost have half the amount of errors yeah absolutely go check it out prowritingaid.com don't pay full price user discount code serial 20 s-e-r-i-a-l 20. Mm-hmm. Read them articles. Yeah. You said. So I just wanted to start uh, talking about the beginning of your first episode. So you have obscure private writings from Tel Aviv, and it's a book filled with power and magic. How do you go about crafting an opening hook that will draw a reader in? Um, that's a really good question. And at this point, um, I, I, every chapter, one of my editors has told me she she would read a chapter and say, listen, every chapter I want you to hook me in each time you do it. So I'm always thinking of an opening that is going to be of interest. I'm not going to give you all the details because if I feed you, force feed you all the details, you're bored immediately. And I'd rather have you do a little bit of thinking about it. I'm also a, a big believer in minimalist writing. I don't like to over describe things. I'd rather tell you that there is a, a red box in the middle of a table in an old farmhouse kitchen. And when I say that sentence, both of you just came up with an image in your head. It's probably different from each other and probably different from mine. And all three of them are fine. So I don't need to go into more detail. You've already started to form the image that your imagination is feeding you. And I just have to keep giving it raw material to work with. So when I'm coming up with the beginning of a story or the beginning of a chapter, um, I like to open in a way, uh, it flows almost like you would in a movie or a television show. And I see something happening and introducing you to characters through their interactions with other characters. So in the beginning of the Demon Accord series, um, not the series, but the, the Vela, um, you know, the, the door opens, you hear the bell ring, and it's a UPS guy delivering a package of books. And Levi then starts thinking about it and talking about it and he's getting information about the environment that he's now moved himself into from from this local guy and it's feeding directly in with this book that he just picked up and it makes him interested in exploring you know who who is in his community that could be of use to him in his work 
So speaking of that, um, him going and searching for people around him that may help him, uh, we kind of picked up on a theme within this first episode that, you know, the help you need can come from the least expected places or also this like uh, level of trust that one needs to make in order to, you know, progress and actually like succeed. I'm curious, how how do themes tie roll into the Demon Accord series as a whole? And how did you approach theme if you did when you were writing this Vela? Ah, you're giving me way too much credit. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I think the themes work their way out through maybe my my subconscious a lot. Um, as I said, I see things in my head like a movie, and then I start to write them. And there are themes that come through, but sometimes I get done with something and read it and go, "Oh, that's what I meant by that theme." And it's almost as much a shock to me as it is to anyone else reading it. Um, I remember reading uh, Stephen King's book on writing and. Uh, he talked about an archaeological dig, or basically a paleo paleontological, can't speak. Anyway, he's digging up a dinosaur carcass, and you're brushing it away with a, a very small brush, and you don't know what you're going to find. You know you've got something, but as you brush away more and more and more, you discover a bigger and bigger piece of a dinosaur. That's exactly how my stories unfold. And they unfold over time as I'm constantly taking in information in my real world, and revisiting things that I may have learned uh, years and years ago, as well as things that have just happened in the news today. And I'm always try trying to feed my brain with new information, new ideas, new thoughts. Uh, we've talked about quantum physics. I read up some on that. I read a, a lot of different pieces, and then I try to blend them together. And I also often question the human side of it. So it's interesting to read about science, but how does the average person view that or how would that show up on a TV interview on the news channel? Yeah, how are these things play out in real life? And frankly, we get a lot of examples of that every single day, so it's not that not, not that hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that, I'm curious how you go about developing characters. So uh, at first we're seeing Levi, and it seems like his external want is to find someone to help him sell his books. But it seems like he needs more than that to take an active role in what's actually going on with these books uh, and maybe more of an active role with magic. How do you go about crafting a character in terms of wants and needs or otherwise to make them come to life in your work? Again, I, I'm often meeting the character at the same time you are. It just Maybe I get a little bit of a, a firsthand view and then I tell you about it. But with Levi, uh, you know, it, it just, to me, made sense that a, a guy who had traveled the world, who had uh, operated in the Israeli military for years, um, had been in a lot of different situations, and through the whole thing had really retained and developed a love of books, found his way to the U.S. and set up his own bookstore. And he has a touch of, of insight into the supernatural world, but just a touch of it. And so when he gets to meet Ashling and realizes that, you know, as somebody who has just the very, very tiniest bit of sight, he's now met somebody who is at the far end of that spectrum. Who wouldn't be fascinated? Who wouldn't want to know more about that? Who wouldn't want to delve into it? And then he has some monetary reasons to do it. If he can, you know, handle some of these expensive magical books and he can um, sort of prove or understand the pedigree behind them, he can command more money, and that just is, makes his own business more successful. It's, it's a combination of meeting a lot of different people, 
uh, knowing people in my own life who I have admired, um, meeting some people who I haven't admired and have negative um, personality traits, uh, and and putting them into a character. So to give you an example, somebody who's not in the Vela series but is in the main series is a character at Delwood uh, named Delwood who is a alpha werewolf. And Delwood was the result of traveling to Washington, D.C. with my father on an honor flight for you know honoring the military service. And we went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And there was an individual who just sort of was brash and rude and um, forthright. And he had the name Delwood on a shirt on his, on his uh, um, chest. And I was thinking, there's a character that would pop up in a school that any young person may have to deal with. And, but if you make him a werewolf and you make him already a giant person who's superhumanly strong and then give him the ability to change into a, a massive monster, um, it adds another level of, of uh, complexity to the situation of a school kid. Absolutely. Yeah, beware. Uh, you never know when a writer's around and decides to make you a monster of their story. That's a, I have a mug somewhere that says that. My, you know, Be careful or I'll put you in my story. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so when we looked at this first episode, we used uh, a method that we call the three Cs, uh, which breaks apart the conflict choice and consequence. And then as a fourth hidden one, sometimes there's cliffhanger. Uh, so... When we broke it down, we saw that the conflict was, you know, Ashling doesn't really want him poking around in this restaurant. Uh, the choice is that he he chooses to press her about being this witch, and that consequence is that she agrees to hear him out. Uh, he gains this ally who will appraise special books, and then you give us this cliffhanger of, like, we see what potential is about to come with, you know, the money that could be made and kind of the future of Levi. I'm curious, we know you're a pantser, but how do you go about uh, planning a scene, or how do you go about the revision process for structure? So I, I often um, write in my head uh, often when I'm nowhere near a computer. Uh, if I'm driving in a car, particularly if I'm listening to music, if I'm lying in bed trying to fall asleep, if I wake up in the middle of the night and want to go back to sleep, I usually will, will pull a scene that I'm interested in or the idea of the next scene and start to run it through my head. And it may run, it's like a film clip running. It's like, almost like Groundhog Day a little bit because I might run the same thing or, and then I might add a change in it and I just sort of just keep running it back and forth and I have dialogue flowing and people talking to each other. And then by the time I sit down at the computer to write, another version of that all comes out and it's usually the one I go with. I might modify that slightly when I read through it, but generally speaking, I've sort of done a lot of editing in my head uh, well before I ever tried to, to touch a key on a keyboard. Excellent. So I'm curious more about how your personal experience plays into your writing. So you've stated that you enjoy, you enjoy the rugged wild outdoors and bookstores equally. So in your opinion, are both of these important to level up your writing game, getting outside and spending time in bookstores? Uh, ab absolutely. I wouldn't say I do as much rugged stuff as I did as a kid. I was uh, blessed with a um, childhood that put me way up in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. We had a, um, everyone when I was growing up went to Boy Scouts in my family. It was just, you know, assumed you were going to do that. And our local scoutmaster was ex-Marine drill instructor who also had a uh, college doctorate in physics, and he taught at the local high school. 
Uh, he was a really interesting character who slept on his back porch of his house in a sleeping bag year-round. And Potsdam in the 70s when I was growing up often had weeks where we would be below zero. And so an unheated back, this is this guy chose to sleep in an unheated back porch and 20 degrees below zero all through the winter. And um, so when he took us camping, we did everything. And we did things with the local Clarkson College ROTC. We did a lot of rappelling. Um, we were trained to read maps. He would take us out in the woods leave us with a map and a compass you had to find your way out to the road uh we just kind of did crazy crazy stuff and i loved it i thought it was great and reading was my escape and my um ability to feed my imagination but then actually learning to do these things uh just kind of um took that even further now i was in the i was the story and i was getting to play it out and do my own thing with it and so those two things have come together in my writing because Often, if I'm describing a skill, I've actually tried it or I've actually already, you know, learned it to a, a pretty good degree. Because um, I don't always feel comfortable talking about something that I, I don't really understand. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an invaluable experience or a collection of experiences to have as a writer. Um, but I'm also curious, does your experience with D&D &D influence your writing in any way? <laughs> That's a very common theme when I talk with my adult daughters, who were both much, much better college students than I was. Um, we laugh about the fact that Dad almost failed out of college because I played Dungeons and Dragons in my uh, freshman year of college and failed to go to classes and didn't get work done. And really, Dungeons and Dragons is all about imagination and storytelling and creating story and what are you going to do and how this develops. And it was a, a great primer for writing books. And while I have um, accomplished college and I had had a full career in, in finance and investments and financial planning, uh, writing has done so much more for the family than the rest of it. You know, I made, I made a decent living doing the regular nine to five job, but writing put the girls through college at a, you know, nice college, UVM, uh, left them without student loans and so anytime they start to give me grief about gee dad you almost failed out because of dungeons and dragons i'll say yeah but dungeons and dragons left you without a college loan <laughs> I that's, love that's that. the last word yeah <laughs> so uh now that you're writing kind of full-time and you're pretty pr prolific what does your routine look like daily weekly how do you get the words down on the page uh it's not as uh uh onerous as it sounds. It's really, I get up late, uh, have coffee with my wife. We chat about some of the world's problems and solving them. And then I'll take two to three hours and write, uh, usually in the mornings. Sometimes I have to adapt that due to conflict of our schedule and I'll write in the afternoon. There are days I don't get to write because something has come up. There are other days I can spend a big chunk of the day writing, you know, particularly on snowstorm days or, or really crappy weather days. So I might spend a lot of time writing that day. Um, what I'm doing now is I devote one day a week to each of the two velas and the rest of the time is to the, uh, the book I'm working on. I was just going to say the other thing is lately I've been doing a little bit of plotting and that um, that's a very loose term because I'll use a large piece of uh, of uh, contact paper and stick it to the wall and just write out some of the things I want to hit on in within the storyline so that I don't forget them because otherwise I might get all the way through it. In the Vela, once you release that episode, 
sure, I guess you could go back and do some editing to it, but it's going to be weird if you change the whole storyline. So you better have an idea what you want to have in it before you put it out there. Definitely. Yeah, I've got some sticky whiteboard paper that I have on my door for the same concept of just write a few notes down. But yeah. So uh, what are your favorite scenes to write? And do you have any tips on how to write them? I do like writing fight scenes. Um, and usually when I write a fight scene, I have what, we, what my daughters and I call writing music. It's often uh, something with suitable uh, beat to it and a lot of, you know, well, like Disturbed, like the, the band Disturbed or um, Linkin Park or somebody like that who's got sort of a high energy music going on. And um, I can write to that and create a, a conflict in my head and, and work through it uh, with that in the background. But I do like writing dialogues where people are, are um, going back and forth, particularly if they are close friends who like to pick on each other. I think we all have witnessed many conversations or been part of conversations like that. So what does it look like if you have people that can, you know, punch a hole through a concrete wall, but yet they still are human and they still have those, con those, those interactions back and forth with each other. Uh, and those are mired in respect. So even if they're insulting each other, they are doing it in a kind of loving way. And there's no, you know, it doesn't come to blows or doesn't come to um, violence or, uh, a real conflict. I love that. Did not uh, expect the disturbed in Lincoln Park references, but I approve. <laughs> <laughs> definitely good for the playlist. Um, yeah, yeah, they are. They're definitely some high energy. So you yeah. started writing midlife. I'm curious if you have any tips uh, for people who are maybe you know midlife that want to start writing. How do you just kind of jump into it? Well, uh, first of all, you start writing anytime you want. Uh, and I've encouraged my, both my daughters to write early and often. And what I learned in the process was that I would start something and have a great idea for a story. And then it would peter out after a while. I wouldn't get it all the way through. Um, and it would sort of just sit on the side and, and I'd lose interest in it. But I came up with an idea for a story and I wrote it. Uh, and it was during 2008 when the the stock markets and the world economy was in the dumps and the job wasn't quite so much fun. Uh, so I started writing a story. I got it all the way done. It was a small book, about 72,000 words. I read through it and said, this is absolute garbage, but I did it. It had a beginning and end. There was a plot to it. It was horrible and it'll never see the light of day, but it proved to me that I could do it. And that was the most important thing. And, and the most important thing on writing something um, is to do bit by bit. Anne Lamont has a book called Bird by Bird. How do you write a, a book about birds? Each bird. Just write about that bird and then do the next one. That's how I write books. I write each piece and just keep moving along. So my advice would be just try it. Just write. You have to write every day. And um, one thing I read once was that uh, if you have days when you are really inspired and the muse is speaking to you loudly and the, the, the music is pumping and you're writing at a fast clip, and then you have other days where it's a struggle to get words down on a page, if you go back and read through all of that, you often can't tell the difference between the days when you were really inspired and the days when you struggled because you just kept putting the work in and then you went back and changed things and you edited and you recrafted sentences and paragraphs uh, so it's it's like anything else. It's about just putting the work in and and doing it. 
and I'm I'm not a great I'm not a great writer. I'm not a literary writer. I'm not uh, great with grammar. Sometimes um, my editor will tell you that loudly, uh, but I'm a storyteller. So that's my strength: is that I have you know a lot of imagination, and I know how to tell a story. So then I just have to learn how to do that with words on paper, and that just takes practice. So when we were discussing character, I believe you'd mentioned reading on writing by Stephen King. Do you have any other books or methods that you found useful when devising this serial or your works in general? I, just the two, and I just mentioned the second one, and that's the Anne Lamont book, Bird by Bird. Mm. Those are both uh, writing manuals. Uh, they both fit my wheelhouse. There are people out there that need to plot things out and have the whole story arc figured out. That's you know, If that's how that works, that's great. Um, my imagination bubbles up all the time. Uh, it doesn't work quite that way. If I did try to put a whole story arc down on paper, I guarantee you it would never end up looking like that by the time I got done. So, you know, find out which works for you. What What is the method? Try a lot of different things. Uh, if you want to take classes in creative writing, do that. If you want to join groups where people are writing different pieces and then reading them to other people, do that. Um, most importantly, read. If you're going to be a writer, you better read a lot. So if I've written now 26 books, I have read 10,000 books in my life. And that was partly what led me to start writing my own stuff was when I would be watching a movie or reading a book and say, I already know how this plot unfolds because I've seen it before. I could write this. And I was like, hmm, why don't I write this? Or why don't I write something? So then I would attempt it. And I attempted and attempted and attempted and finally got one done and said, garbage, but I got it done. And then I wrote, uh, I, well, I actually had my daughters came to me and said, you have to read Twilight. It's all about vampires. And I read it and I was like, no. So then I <laughs> came up with my own story about vampires and I wanted to switch it around. And I have a wife and two strong daughters and I like strong female characters. So why does it have to be the strong, immortal male vampire? Why can't it be a female character who's super strong and, and super powerful and highly intelligent and capable. And the guy's lucky enough to hang out with her. hundred percent. I love that. Uh, so earlier you stated that uh, when you started on Vela, you saw that other authors were doing serials on their website. I'm curious what other possibilities you see besides uh, the Vela platform for serial fiction? Well, I, I know um, Alona Andrews is an author husband and wife team i love their stuff um and patty briggs too has done this where they have uh, issued you know a set of stories as it went and they said listen don't beat us up on grammar don't you know if there's typos don't start beating us up this is we're giving it to you raw and i loved it and i i like to see how they take stuff and i would literally be waiting till the day the release day to see what they came out with um so i just think that kind of thing the, the Vela system is like that. I know there's some other apps out there uh, that do something similar. Um, it made sense to me to do it on the Amazon platform once they came up with it because I'm already, you know, living and breathing on that platform. And the way I look at, at the, the Vela system, you know, I'll get done with Demon Accords beginnings and it'll be complete and it'll stay on Vela until it's not really popular. And then I've got a book waiting to be packaged up and I can have it read as an audiobook and I can put it back out on Amazon 
as a full-blown book, and it'll, I even know its title. It'll be called The Book of Levi. So, um, you know, that, that to me is, is a great way to do something when you, when you do it in pieces, and then at the end of it, you go back through and put it all together, and, you, yeah, you're going to change and streamline a little bit here and there, but you've essentially just written a book over the course of, you know, many weeks. So, speaking of audio, you were nominated for an Audio Award. Uh, so, what do you think the possibilities are right now for Vela authors in the audiobook space? I don't know what Amazon has planned. I do know that Vela is uh, started just on the U.S. platform. I know a lot of my fans are not excited that it's only on U.S. They would love to have it be available in other markets. Um, and I'm hoping at some point that Amazon decides to, to do that. I could see how eventually they may choose to partner up with uh, uh, Audible to do something similar for audio pieces. I, I, don't, I don't know where they're going with it. I'm happy to run along for the ride with it because they do put together some nice um, user-friendly methods of doing that. And um, I'd be, I know they'd, they started to open up Vela to maybe Android and Kindle. So uh, I think, you know, as they start to push that outward and it's a successful platform for them, I think you'll see other ways of, of getting things done and um, reaching other audiences. One of the things I was amazed by, Audible came to me to see if I was interested in having them produce the books in, in audio form, and I was, but I had no idea how many people listen to books in today's world. And I find so many people who have listened to the books and they just don't read, uh, you know, cover to cover paper, or even an electronic version anymore. They they do it while they're in the car. They do it while they're, you know, snow plowing the driveway. They do it while they're on the exercise treadmill, and uh, that's fascinating to me. It's another way for people to get the stories that I want to tell, and they might not be the kind of audience that sits down with a book in the evening or um, early in the morning or whenever the rest of us who love to read do that. So as a final question, what would you say to someone looking to start a serial? Uh, well, in my case, I had it easy because I have already built a universe and I have so many side characters that are left to explore. Uh, I, I, as I indicated before, I'm going to sort of end this, the main series. I will probably dabble in this universe the rest of my life by telling side stories. I guess if you were writing... Um, the Vela would be a good way for you to start your writing career uh, because writing novellas and short stories is usually easier than writing full-blown books. We talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, you can have episode versions that are kind of self-contained. And um, I guess that the, the trick there would be to start writing short stories and see how they come out. And if you put enough of those short stories together... Uh, which I have seen in books before, where basically you have the same character moving through a, a period of time, and it's a series of small short stories about that character and their interactions with the world. So, you know, this would be a good way to train yourself to write a book, is to do a Vela episodes every week or every month or hour often you were going to put them out. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for being interested in me enough to have me on your program. Absolutely. Our thanks today to John Conroe for letting us break down their episode. We want to thank you for listening to the Reader Serial Fiction Show. 
If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on the episode on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, we have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early. We also have tons of other things in the works. So check us out at Patreon.com slash Serial Fiction Show. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And And that's that's a wrap. wrap. Did I, what did was I fall that? into my chair? Yes. <laughs> I, just like... I fell into my chair. <laughs>